I bet that works. That worked, Pablo? So, uh, yeah, and if you want to know the other one, uh, I believe it was an hour and 12 or 14 minutes. Uh, Brandon White, the pastor at uh, the Indian Nation Baptist Church in uh, Smithville uh, at our marriage conference. Uh, Pablo can tell you how many minutes he preached because he had to translate it all. So today's message uh, would, would be entitled, uh, and it is entitled even though most of our fathers aren't here today, uh, Finding Our Significance. Finding Our Significance. And I think it's pretty obvious if you keep up with what's going on in America at all and keeping up uh, what, with what's going on with manhood, uh, men are trying to find their significance. It just happens to be that they have no idea where to look for their significance. And so, uh, and, and when we don't know where to look and we're not looking to find our significance in the Lord, we'll never find that significance that uh, uh, it has any, uh, any benefit whatsoever to us. So I, w- I do want to pick up and, and, you know, I preached this message to the ladies, and uh, uh, I, I promised them if they got their husbands here today, we didn't know what last night was going to look like that I'd preach to their husbands. But I do want to pick up in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5, I do want to pick up in verse uh, 22, 21, and read down to the end of uh, chapter 5 again. So I pick up in verse 21, even though it's out of that, uh, out of that paragraph, uh, it, it does start with a very important uh, point. We're not going to find a, an ability to submit to one another until we submit to the Lord. And then we, uh, once we submit to the Lord, we have an ability to submit to one another. So verse 21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We do all that we do uh, by a mandate from God's Word, by a mandate from God, Uh, not off some whim, not some philosophy. So we find our significance in God's word and God's intent. Verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife. And and this, I'm not really preaching from these, but if the husband is the head, that means he is the leader in the home. And we'll look at that this morning being one of the points. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior, Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. So because Christ is the leader of the church, man is leader of the home, he is is, uh, not, not just the head, but also the leader. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, that is some deep theological stuff there, but it's really spoken of to to me this week that that's also the responsibility that the husband has to present his wife and his children up to the Lord in a spiritual manner, spiritually uh, discerning, uh, spiritually matured, uh, without spot or blemish through the blood and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, wow, what a, what a connotation there that we have that spiritual uh, responsibility as husbands in the home. Verse 28, 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen to verse 32. This, is, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. The marriage between husband and wife is, looks like that same relationship between Christ and his church. Verse 33 is, is a summary and, and kind of defines it all. However, let each one of you men love his wife as himself. There it is, men. Just get that right. Be concentrating on that. Everything else is going to fall into place, and we've already looked at this. But I'll just tell you, tell you ladies, uh, this next part is, is, is a tough part. But I want to tell you, when, when you watch women who are not naturally that way try their best to submit to their husbands, amazing things happen in the marriage and in the home. So, husbands, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's where we're at today. And I I will move as fast as I think I can with Pablo translating. So, beginning on Mother's Day and today and on July the 9th, I'm going to preach a message I've never preached before. I'm going to preach what the Scripture says that the children's responsibilities are. I'm I'm going to preach a children's day, that first day that we go to camp, and I'm going to preach to our children about what their responsibilities are, biblically speaking, to their parents. So we've kind of added a day to it. So what is God's design for the family? He does have a design. And I want to tell you, that is, the, that is one, of the, one of the top things wrong with America. There's no more what I would call biblical marriages anymore. It's being demeaned. So today's Father's Day, July the 9th, Children's Day. What does that design look like for mothers, dad, and children? You, you want to know how, the, how the, the, the family or the home is to function? You look at God's Word, and that's what we're looking at. So, how did we get here? How how did we get to the place that there there needs to be so much emphasis, y'all get this word now, on God's design? Why are we talking about God's design? (coughs) Well, the reason that... (coughs) The reason that... uh, We're talking about God's design is this. Because the truth of God's word and the neglect of God's design for man, woman, and the family is being destroyed intentionally by a segment of our culture. Destroyed, made fun of. Children are being taught everything except the truth. And anything that they think, y'all listen to this now, anything that they can think, it can be affirmed on the Internet. Just 
you just think the most warped thing you can think of and the kids know how to go to the internet and get affirmation for that. But outside of God's word, there's no truth. We must empower individuals to be God, what God intended them to be. Listen, you are not a mistake. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the way God made you is exactly the way He intended to make you, and He did not make any mistakes. <laughs> it's so funny. And I, I wish, I, I, wish I, could, uh, I could see it again, but I saw a little cartoon, and uh, Betty Crocker, I, I, I kind of uh, hesitate to throw out some of these names. Uh, uh, leave it to Beaver's mom. You know, that mom. Uh, uh, no, y'all are too, uh, you're not old enough to know what I'm talking about. But, but so this mom is in the kitchen, and she's making cookies or she's making a cake, right? Have I told y'all this before? So the little girl is five or six years old, right? Now, this is just in a, in a cartoon. It didn't happen on TV back years ago. But it's, it's, it's depicting today. So mom's making cookies, and the little girl's standing beside her, and she's helping. And she looks up at her mom and says, I think I'm a boy. Mom never looks up. Never quits stirring the cookie mix. She just matter-of-factly says, no, you're not. Y'all with me? Little girls, mom's busy and drops a bomb on her, right? I think I'm a boy. And mom never let up. Just She said, no, you're not. Listen, young people, there is truth. There is truth. Not philosophy, not vain conceit, not imaginations. There's truth. And listen, moms and dads, you are obligated, regardless of what your kids think, to speak the truth to them. And grandkids. They just need to hear it. And then you need to go to God's Scripture and lay it out for them. I mean, all you got to know is where Genesis 1 and 2 is. You don't have to go any further than that. You'll never find significance unless you're living the life that God's called you to live. Never. Never. You can, you can take all kinds of medicines. You can have all kinds of surgeries. There will never be any significance outside what God created you to be. Never. It's clear from Scripture that evangelism and discipleship, listen to me, we're changing horses here just a tad. It is clear from Scripture that evangelism and the discipleship of the children was meant by God to be done by parents. Are you with me? That is not the church's responsibility. I think in a desire to be significant and for, uh, to have some kind of control over parents, the church has taken on that responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. The church's responsibility is to equip parents to train their kids up in the ways of the Lord. That's where you find the real significant. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But, but what does this say? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Most men and women are not equipped to do that. 
Most men and women do not understand the mandate. They think it's the church's responsibility because that's the way we've done it the last 200 years. It doesn't mean it's right. And it's not being very effective. It, listen, it will never be effective when somebody's trying to do your job. Nor has the church encouraged such as family evangelizing and teaching their own. Matter of fact, they've said, just bring them. Just bring them, drop them off the door, we'll take care of it. That hasn't worked too well. But for the last 33 years, I, we, some context, yeah, for 33 years, there's, there's some of us men that's been together for 33 years and we've been trying to unlock the key to what's wrong with men's ministry in America. Y'all with me? It started with promise keepers. I mean, I got my eyes open uh, to godly manhood. And so for 33 years, we've been trying to figure out how do we unlock this door? How do we, how do we, get, how do we equip men and unleash them to be what God intended them to be? It's pretty amazing. But we've just found it. We've, we've just kind of discovered it in the last few years. Listen, we've tried rallies. How many, how many miles have we gone? How many deer have I run over in First Baptist Church is that white van they've got up there, 75 miles an hour down the Indian Nation Turnpike. And the first thing I know is there's this collision. And all we could find was a little meat on the back bumper. When we got to last, how many how many promise keepers rallies have we gone to? How many how, how many high profile speakers, musicians, men's fraternity group thirty three weekly pump up or accountability meeting, wild game dinners? How many different things have we tried to to have to to get men to do what they're they're called to do? And, and all of those things were good attempts. And I want to tell you, men's fraternity, Robert Lewis's book. Raising a Modern Day Night, absolutely, it's, uh, uh, what would it be, uh, 30 years uh, before Vody Bachman's family-driven faith. It's the same thing, except it's directed towards manhood. Listen, if you've not read, read Raising a Modern Day Night, it's, it's, it's a, it's a must-read. Mm. All these have something in common, all these different things we've tried. Let me tell you what they, they lack. A biblical mandate. Everything that we do has to have a biblical, biblical mandate. We, we have... Now, now I, you, I told you we've been trying to figure this out for 33 and a half years, okay? And, and I'm, I can't imagine... It's been 20 years ago we did the first men's fraternity. That I probably... May, I don't know if you did the first, first one... But anyway, how, long, how many years ago? And, and it was on the right track. Men's fraternity was on the right track. Men need to be godly men and lead their, their families in the way of the Lord. Amen? But, but we just didn't take that last step. And, and now we're ready to take that last step. We have left out the biblical mandate to raise the entire family up in the admonition of the Lord. Not just to, to be a real man, reject passivity, uh, e, 
Expect a greater reward, accept responsibility, and lead courageously. Not just that. Yes, that's what a man ought to do. But where should that happen? In the marriage, in the family. And we're there now. Raise them up in the admonition of the Lord. Uh, the, the same Ephesians 6, 4 scripture, the, the last part of it says, Fathers, that's how it starts out, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We, we've got to embrace it. We've got to continue to teach it that men are responsible for the evangelism and the discipleship of their family. Not the church, the men. And listen, that is a worthy calling. That is a, y'all with me? This is the word today. Significance is the word today. Okay, men will find their significance when they're doing what God called them to do. And look, everybody's got a copy of God, the godly home. Okay, so it's too late for Charles. It's too late for Russ. Their, their kids are gone. But Russ and Charles and Bruce and the rest of you men have got to read everything you can get your hand on so you'll know what the church is talking about. If you weren't in the last men's breakfast, I made a confession to the church. And, and I've sent it out to the men that weren't there again. But I, I want you all to hear me. I've been here 30 years. I have done way too much pulling and way too much pushing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like work. Y'all hear me? Now, I made that confession. And what I want you guys to think about is, I want you to think about the flip side of that, of me pushing and pulling. And I want to, I just want, don't turn there. We don't have time. But I want to read chapter 13, verse 7 of, of Hebrews. Listen to this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Are you with me? I have done way too much pushing and pulling. And you need to confess you're part of it. And I'll let you figure out what that is. Right? Okay. So, no wonder men today have little significance and are looking for significance in all the wrong places. Money, hobbies, I'm talking about expensive hobbies. I mean... This week, I think Monday, I'm getting through with my walk, and I come up and I see this guy, and he's, he's, he's driving a really nice truck, and he's got a really nice trailer behind it with a $30,000 side-by-side on the back of it, matching color with his truck. Are you with me? Men are trying to find their significance in their ride, in their toys, in, in their hobbies, and, and even in their jobs, which are all, that jobs are necessary, but they're not finding their significance in doing what God called them to do, and that's to have godly families and raise them to know the Lord. 
So the absence of men in, in the church is, let me tell you, it's, it's really an American thing. And I didn't know, th- know this until I was, I was just uh, looking around this week. Even in Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe, and I didn't say Western Europe, in Eastern Europe, about as many women as men go to church. In Hindu society, Judaism, uh, even Islamic cultures, there's more men involved than women. But in America, it is not that way. It's the women who are involved spiritually in the lives of their children. It's an, it's an American thing. So it should not be a surprise when men, listen, are spending billions of dollars a year to find their importance. And they'll never find it outside doing what God has called them to do, and that's to raise up godly offspring. So we've taken a new approach of recent. Last few years, you start hearing this word, family worship. Matter of fact, we don't meet on Sunday nights for a purpose. And that's so families have a time to evangelize, teach, and worship in the home. Because we know that's where men ought to be, where families ought to be, and where they're going to find their significance. Teaching moms and dads about evangelizing and discipling their children. Listen, getting men to show up for a meeting is no real challenge. And it's obviously not what men are looking for. I mean, we made a little effort this last men's breakfast, and we were probably up 50%. Okay? We got men to come. But listen to me. Getting men to show up for a meeting, are y'all listening, men? is no challenge and is obviously not what men are looking for. Because we've been doing those for a while, right? Now listen to me. Cooking breakfast loaded down with carbs, having breakfast once a month gives a man no sense or a challenge or any kind of accomplishment other than just maybe a little bit loss of sleep. He had to get up a little early to do that. But but he's not getting any significance from that. Are you with me? That, That is no challenge. It's no challenge for a man to come to a men's breakfast. But if you go down to the point of a man praying with his wife or evangelizing his wife and evangelizing his kids, teaching them, reading them God's Word, praying with them and worshiping with them in the home, that is, a, that is a task, that is a noble task, that is a difficult task because the devil fights against them, but that will bring men significance. Tom Eldridge, uh, he, many of you men have read the book Wild at Heart, and he says the church can best minister children by equipping the father and assisting his helper, his wife. The best way that the church can minister to mom and dads is to help mom and dads take on and know how to do the evangelism and discipleship of their children. This is also the only way that fathers and mothers can find their real significance. 
Let me relate a story uh, from Family Driven Faith. If you haven't read it, uh, we'll, we'll get you a copy. Listen, men, your kids are gone. I'm talking about men in the church. If you're going to lead and encourage other men, you've got to become a reader. Vody Botman's a great guy to read. He's, uh, he's one of the most courageous guys I know. <laughs> he, uh, he tells it like it is, and, you know, I don't think we ought to go looking for a fight, but if you were Vody Bachman, he's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, not an ounce of fat on him. He's got hands about like this, okay? I, I think he gets up every morning looking for a fight. Now, I don't think we ought to all do that, but he does. So, he relates about Tim a new guy that came to their church in Houston. Y'all with me? It was, now, Vody was not pastoring the church. He just came to the church. Tim was new at Grace Church. Y'all, y'all with me? Now, I don't tell many stories from the pulpit, but this was a good one, okay? He'd been around a few months when he came to their father's council meeting. He came to their men's breakfast. Are you with me? All right, now listen to this. This meeting was a time of fellowship, prayer, vision casting, church business, and such. That's what it was. I I would say a men's meeting and breakfast uh, looking to uh, change men's attitude about what they should do in the home. And and by the way, we ought to have a contest. We want a new name for our men's meeting and breakfast. Men's meeting, business meeting, breakfast. We want another name. We, we want a name that would give significance to who and what the meeting is really for. Are you with me? Now listen, so you can help me with that. They had a testimony time, and Tim, during the testimony time, had had enough. And so he, he stood up, and he, he said, I'm no speaker, but he said, i got to say this. Now listen. Where he had been, he was the Sunday school director. He was a deacon. He was a teacher in the church. He was maybe the most influential man, layman, in a mega church in Houston. When people looked at that church, he would be the first name called out. Are you with me? Okay. But he came to the church called Grace Church, where Vody Bachman went, and And after being there, he saw what families were doing in the area of evangelizing and discipling their families, and he realized that the standards at his old church were not very high and not very biblical. Listen, it should be no challenge for people to go to church on Sunday. There should be no challenge for people to go to Bible study. That's just what Christians do, right? But listen, if you really want to find your significance, you need to go a step deeper and realize that God intended for you to raise and teach, evangelize, and disciple your kids in the home. Now listen. He had never even dreamed that he was supposed to do such. He had never even considered it. Family worship, Bible reading, prayer, singing, and instruction, he had never thought about that. And then this happened. 
his daughters, one of the four, he had four daughters, asked him, Dad, how come we're the only family in the church that does not do family worship time? You can imagine how defensive he got right quick. And then he finally took a breath and said, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. That was a good answer, right? Okay, so here we go. Here's how Tim stated it at the meeting. Listen carefully. Men, I have a successful business, a great marriage, and four beautiful daughters. I've been at what most people would call as a layman at the pinnacle of Christian service. He was the model in his church, deacon, Sunday school director, confidant of the pastor, and very visible. Listen to what he said. However, I would not trade anything for the way my wife and my daughters look at me now. What happened? He went on to say that he felt like a hero in his house now. And what had changed? He began to evangelize discipleship and worship with his kids in the house. He had found his significance. So let me ask you, what had he found? Something Listen, something amazing happens when dad takes up what God has called, created, and equipped him to do. Something amazing happens. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter, it, it doesn't matter if you're Brother Bob. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor. Once you've been found out to do it a different way, We need to get about doing it. Amen? Raising up his family to know and to serve the Lord. In the New Testament text that I read, we have several dynamics going on. So I want to just kind of get these up to snuff so when we get into the Scripture. One dynamic is how do we walk in this evil time? And we see in this how we walk that we ought to walk in a particular way as Christian people. We also see three evidences of spirit-filled life. We ought to be filled with the Spirit. But in verse 21, we begin to see a detailed discussion of authority and submission. Authority and submission. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And after this, in verses 521 through 69, we're given three circumstances in which submission is worked out. Submission, authority. Listen, you need to teach your children, are you listening to me? And grandchildren that there are, uh, there is authority. There is a figure of authority in their lives. Listen to me. And they learn that when you tell them and you act like that you are their authority. Are you with me? I'm telling you, there's no truth and not much authority in America. Authority. Then they go to school. They have to find out that there's what? Authority. Then they go out in the world and a police officer stops them and they've got to figure out that that somebody is authority. And then you've got to teach them that ultimately God is their authority. 
Oh, there's so much to say. So, first of all, he teaches us authority wives to husbands. Well, first of all, people to, to God, people to one another, husbands to God, wives to husbands, children to parents, workers to bosses. And we won't even look at that third one, but it, but it is there. So when we begin to look at these relationships, people to God, husbands and wives, wives to husbands, children to parents, and parents to children, teaching that all are to be submissive to God, wives are to be submissive to their husbands, children being submissive to their parents, and employees to be to the employer, and, and, and a man to his Lord are all biblical mandates. Did y'all hear that word mandates? This is what God says is to happen. Truth. Thus these are mandates and are not an option if we want to be obedient to God and have His blessings to find our significance. Listen, I'm deeply troubled that the truth of God's design has been distorted and I'm convinced unless it's reestablished, we will continue down this road to reprobation and judgment. There are mandates about the way to do family, to do church, and we must, we must return to those mandates. Listen quickly. Let me ask you, are we producing followers of Christ? I'm telling you, we're spitting kids out. We're spitting kids out with no mama, no daddies, maybe no mamas. But how many, how many spiritual offsprings are we producing? Is that our main purpose in our marriage? To produce spiritual offspring. To live for God's glory. To have a godly marriage, a godly home. And, and is right up there in the discussion to raise godly offspring. Now, listen, it must happen. For eternity's sake, our children are going to die someday either with or without the Lord. For the sake of the family. The family has been decimated. It has been ridiculed. For the sake of the family, we've got to produce spiritual young men and spiritual young ladies. For the sake of the church, listen, as the way the individual goes, the way the family goes, is the way the church is going to go. Listen to me. For the sake of society, the foundation of the society is a biblical marriage. One man, one woman, forever raising their children to know the Lord. So is there any, any surprise why America's in trouble? Christianity is close to being on the endangered species list. To find a true follower of Jesus who unashamedly lives for God's glory in radical obedience to the truth is a dying breed. So all of this must happen because God mandated it. So we're praying that through Mother's Day message, today's message, the message to our young people, what we've been teaching. Listen, I told Billy talking in discussion this week, uh, this is the revival we need, you know, and, and I teach on it often. 
uh, what's the purpose for a godly man and a godly woman to come together to raise godly offspring. But we failed to look at the last verse of chapter, chapter 4 of Malachi. The, matter of fact, the last verse of the Old Testament. You know what it says? I pray that God might turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What should, what should be our prayer? We pray that God might turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. That's the kind of revival we need to have. That, that men's greatest desire would be that their wives and their children know the Lord. And when that happens, there's going to be a revival of respect and authority given to the parents because the children even know in their spirit they should be taught that at home. So quickly, let's look at the text. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives. Did you hear me, husbands? A mandate, love your wives with a sincere, pure, ardent, constant affection, looking out for her well-being. Since husbands are the head of their wives, they must love them. It would be cruel to be the head and not love the person. This is the beginning point of duties in the marriage, which means he gives himself totally up for her. Let me tell you, men, you know what I figured out? Other than, other than evangelizing your kids and discipling your family, going to work and providing for, you don't have much time for nothing else. Did you hear me? You ain't got time for all them hobbies. I, I'll never forget uh, quickly. So, so I never played golf until I went in the military. And I happened to be a general's aide. And so uh, one of my best friend, friends from uh, Infantry Officer Basic Course, he, he was a, I, I believe he was an all-American golfer at uh, the Citadel. So he taught me how to play golf. And, and so I, I love playing golf. But, but, I, got, but I, got out of the, I got out of the Army and we were in, in business over at Murfreesboro. And I went one day to play golf. I had a little I had a little golf cart. Did y'all ever see my little golf cart? It was it was a little Napa golf cart. It had a, the Napa hat on top. And anyway, so I'm out there playing golf, and I thought, you know what I thought? This is the grace of God. I thought I ain't got four hours to be away from my family and my duties. It takes four hours to play golf. You know how much money and time it it takes to become a successful duck hunter? Or or whatever the case may be. Let me just tell you, we ain't got time, men. Listen, if you're raise, if you're discipling your wife and your kids, raising them to know the Lord and to serve your church, you don't have time for anything else. Save yourself a bundle of money. Save yourself a whole lot of heartache. Listen, get up, go to work, come home, help your wife, raise your family, grow a garden, do whatever you need to do, provide for your family, but you don't have time for a bunch of junk. It has no spiritual significance, amen? Verse 26, oh, well, this is crazy, guys. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. 
Wow, a spiritual responsibility to make sure your wife is right with the Lord. If need be, taking her from a state of sin and misery to a state of grace and life and eternal life. Are you with me? Evangelizing your wife. The forgiveness of sin and a new life, complete with a new nature, heart and spirit, cleansed, washed with the blood of Christ, by the word, the word of the gospel, especially repentance, salvation, justification and sanctification in Christ, evangelizing, being sure your wife is saved. 27, so that he might, listen, this is, a, this is a mystery. The wife in the church, Christ in his church, the husband and the wife, listen to this, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Men, that is your responsibility to, pre- to present your wife up to the Lord spiritually matured. Wow. Listen, that is, that is a hard job. That is God's mandate. And in doing that, you will find your significance. Y'all think I'm convinced of this? You know why? That we all might be assembled in heaven. Not assembled on the golf course. Not in, assembled in the duck blind. But that one day, we might, with our children and grandkids, be assembled where? In heaven. You want the wife and the kids to become a part of the church, perfect in knowledge and holiness, having no spot, blemish, or wrinkle. This is what He created you for. In Christ. Verse 28, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Men are to love their wives as their own bodies. The woman was taken out of man. She's part of him. That woman is a part of your flesh. You would never hurt your own flesh. You and her are one. Do not hurt her. For no one, verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. No man in his right senses hates himself or his flesh. He nourishes it, cherishes it, feeds, clothes, supplies everything necessary, just like Christ through grace does for the church. Why? Verse 30, because we are members of His body. We are members of His body, His church, united Him, just as we and her are united to one another, we are united to Christ and His church. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is easy. You remember how great it was to be in a family with your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters? God's got something better for you your own wife, your own family that you're evangelizing and discipling to know the Lord. He's got something better. You know what the Scripture says? It's natural that a man leave his father and mother and take hold of his wife. It's good. It's, it's been that way. It's, as good as the old family was, the new family is something that's better. It's new. One flesh with the power over the other's body. Did you know that, husband? Man, I'm telling you, that godly home book is a good one, but the one about a godly husband, the most condemning thing I ever read in my life was reading that, how cruel a cruel husband he is to his wife being his own flesh. Wow. 
This is a profound mystery. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. A great mystery. Christ and his church, a man and a woman. Listen to me. Marriage is a spiritual thing like Christ and his church given by God to show us this. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, forget all the mystery. Men, forget the whole mystery deal. Forget all of the analogies. This is it. Love your wife. Love your wife as you love yourself. And women, this is it. Nothing, no rocket-sized stuff here. Husbands, love your wife. Women, respect your husbands. Look, Look at that verse. However, let each one love his wife himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And when a man and a woman are trying to do that, all of the differences, did you hear me? When a man is trying to do that and a woman's trying to do her part, all the differences will be worked out for God's glory. I'm, I'm seeing it before my eyes how it works. Matthew six thirty three. but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, listen, just think about this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. When, when a man and a woman seek after doing God's biblical mandate, let me tell you what this all cuts down to. You will be blessed. And you will find your significance. I want to honor our fathers this morning. I want to empower fathers to do the one primary thing that will bring them contentment. There's no contentment in life without doing it God's way. And I don't care if you're talking about the saved or the lost. There'll be no contentment out of doing it God's way. I'm just saying if you want contentment, you have to do it God's way. I want to give you six things quickly. The chief purpose of man, where will a man find his significance? Number one, you've got it. In your life to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Get up every day to live for God's glory. Number two, in your marriage having God's purpose in mind. Love your wife. Men, that is your duty. That's your primary duty. Love your wife. All of this stuff, evangelizing, discipling your family, falls after the first part of what? Love your wife. Any, any wonder why half of our marriages are in trouble? Giving them love and treating them tenderly for God's glory, loving your wife more than yourselves, ourselves. I'm just saying, if you want contentment, you have to do it God's way. Number three, being the priest of the house. Did you hear that? Priestly work that a man is to do? that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, water of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Does that sound like the work of the priest? Does that sound like the work of the Christ? That's the kind of work you've got to do in the home. <clears throat> I'm just saying, if you want contentment, you have to do it God's way. Being the leader of the house. Wives, submit your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head. Head equates to leader. Now, with leadership becomes responsibility. Leadership. Let me tell you what two words that go right with leadership. Service. A leader will serve his wife. How about this one? I had not thought about this until I found it this week. Intercession. Service. 
and interceding to God in prayer for our wives and for our kids. That's what a leader does. Matter of fact, if you want to know where I got that, uh, Luke uh, Griffio, G-R-I-F-F-O, wrote a book, The Beauty of the Binary. Wow, it's a powerful book. That's where I got that. Service and intercession. Listen, you know what that meant? Men being a leader, listen to me carefully. A leader has the needs of the wife and the needs of the kids take precedence over his own desires and wants. Are you with me? A man has lots of wants, but he's more concerned about the needs of his wife and the children than he is his wants. Amen? Number five, be the provider of the house. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Exodus 21.10, if he takes an... Okay, listen to this. This is Old Testament. A man divorces one wife, takes another. Look at what his responsibility still is to his wife that he's put away. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. Listen, if you have that responsibility towards an ex-wife, what kind of responsibility do you think you have towards your own wife? You are to provide for their, their well-being, their care, spiritual and otherwise. Provide. But, but I want to tell you, church, man... I'm telling you, the, the one of the worst things we've ever done in America is giving kids everything they want. And I'll tell you, the top of the list, the worst thing we ever gave our kids, way worse than an automobile to drive. Somebody tell me what it is. A phone. I had somebody tell me this morning, you see little kids running around with a smartphone. Wow. Wow. They don't need a phone. Be the provider. I did not say provider for all that stuff. Number four, having the purpose in mind to raise godly offspring. Number six, did I say four? Number six, having the purpose in the mind to raise godly offspring. So there's your list. I'm not going to go back over it. Malachi 2.15 did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of yours. You marry a woman. You have kids with a woman. Don't put her away then. Work with her to raise godly offspring. Young people, listen to me. You let your mama and daddy and your preacher and a few other godly men and women help you pick your mate. Did you hear me? Because it's an important thing to do. And you need to pick them before you fall in love with them. Okay? You need to pick them before you fall in love with them. All right, so guys, listen to me. Men, this is not necessarily romantic. It's not necessarily expensive monetarily. It's surely not like everybody else is doing it. It's not the way to hoard a lot of money. It's not a way to have all the toys. But this is a life and death situation. 
we are talking about spiritually. The well-being of our marriage and our family and our churches and our society are at stake. The spiritual well-being of our children and our families are at stake. The visible church will only survive if Christians reproduce Christians that want to serve the Lord in the local church. We've got to evangelize and raise up the children to know the Lord. And society, wow. Are we not living proof that without a sizable number of Christians, uh, the society that we're living in will collapse? Do you not realize you and I are living and witnessing the collapse of another great civilization? And the reason being is there's not enough Christians in that civilization. Oh, church, we must rethink our priorities for the home. What are we raising our young men and women to be? Are we teaching them how they were made? Are we teaching them how to be and to do what he mandated them to do? I'll never forget, right there in front of where the Teresas are sitting, we had five, well, we had five chairs. We had five graduates that year. There was one empty chair. I'll never forget the... the Matter of fact, I don't think it was till the next week that I, that I came to the realization. But I thought, how little preparation. This was four or five years ago. I can think about who they were. I, I thought about how little intentional training in all of their education from ABC to high school, how little training they had gotten to be what God created them to be. A godly man, a godly woman, a godly marriage, and to raise godly offspring. No wonder we've missed the mark. Listen, listen, parents. And for five or six years now, before all this transing went, went nuclear, we have been teaching since 2017 at church camp. I'm talking about hours of instruction on God's design for man, woman, and the family. And some of you will not make your children go to church camp unless they want to. Listen, they ought to miss summer school. They ought to miss band camp. They ought to miss anything else they've got planned to go and find out God's design for them. And listen, they don't have sense enough. That's why, that's why God gave them a mom and a daddy to make decisions for them when they're not big enough to make them. I'm just saying, if you want contentment, you've got to do it God's way. Okay, so let's just quickly. You want to know why women are struggling with their identity? I'll just tell you. You want to know why feminism is being so successful? Women are not being and doing what God created them to be and to do. I am not being a, a misogynist or, or whatever else you want to call me. God created a woman to marry a man and to have children and raise those children to know the Lord. And I, I don't know too many super moms that can do those tasks and work 40 hours a week. 
I'm just saying. So, <clears throat> we must got we got to get back to God's purpose, having godly marriages and raising godly offspring. God's order in the home. We must teach God's design, teach at all levels, teaching mom and dads to rose, pushing, praying, prodding for the slow but steady, listen to me, steady implementation of these roles. Listen to me. I want to tell you the pushback that we got, let's say 20, 25 years ago. Let me, let me just throw this out here. How about years ago when we broached gently the thought of bringing mom home? Y'all remember that? And, and is, it has happened with some success, little success. But every time mom comes home to do what God created her to do, there's also always a benefit to the family. So, now let me just ask you this question. You think it's time to do that, bring mom home and the kids with her? I'm just asking you. No schism, not something you have to do, but would we not consider, would we not consider where we're sending our kids eight hours a day and who we're sending our kids to be indoctrinated by? They're not all ideas. There are people out there with evil agendas. So listen to me, young people. You've got to be careful who you marry. Do they have the same thoughts and same goals? Are they going to be adequately able to supply you and your kids your needs? I'm just saying, we're in trouble. We, this society is in trouble. It will take bold action to turn it around. All the while, through answers in Genesis, God's design at church camp, the hymns, through the preaching and teaching, we continue to teach at all levels. I'll tell you all a little story. Man, you teach about one-income families, one-income families, one-income families. I promise you, if two of you work and you go to the bank to finance a house, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna finance a house on two incomes. Once you buy into that, you're hooked. Then you add a car, a truck, a side-by-side, a new uh, zero turn. I forgot the other one. Maybe a boat. You can't have all the things of the world and do it God's way. And you've got to think about that, young people, when you get married. When you start going to the bank, you've got to think about what you're doing. The devil wants to lock you in to do the things that God never intended for you to do. So we dads, we need to step up, take on our God-given duties in the home. We can't order the home right until the church allows and the parents accept their role of being the primary evangelist, teacher, and disciples of children. The home must become the training grounds for eternity. While the church equips the moms and dads to take on this role with the church's support and encouragement. Raise the kids up spiritually. Teach them to find a godly mate. Teach them to show and show them that what a godly marriage looks like. Wow. We want them to 
We want them to want to get married and to raise godly offspring. Teach them why we get married, why we have lots of kids. And I want to tell you right now, to get more and more Christians into our society, we need to double down on having more kids. We jokingly said, if you're going to have 12, you better stay at it pretty, pretty regular. Did y'all hear me? If you're going to have 12 kids, you've got to stay at it. I'm talking about we need that kind of influx into our society. Listen to me. Just, just in your own mind's eye, think about people out there in the world. Come on now. A mama with seven kids and five daddies. That's going the wrong way. We need to have mama and daddy and 12 kids that want to serve the Lord. Y'all tell me another solution. Train them to know the Lord. Watch them duplicate what we did. Falling in love, getting married, having lots of kids. Living happily ever after. Because we're not doing it God's way. I'm just saying if you want contentment, you've got to do it God's way. Dad and moms, let's be about doing it the way God ordained it. Hey, listen. I'm just talking to somebody this week. Look, listen, ladies. You're young at 20. You can raise your kids to get out of the house and then have a career. Why, why don't we think about the career, the mandate being raising your kids and then have a career? I'm just saying, we got to start thinking outside the box. We got to start thinking biblically about these things. <sighs> Let's be about doing and teaching the children how to do it God's way with our teaching, with our lives, and with our marriage. And Lewis, I bet Tom's glad he didn't have to wrap this one up.